This is Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. The unofficial podcast companion for Ray Dalio's book, Principles. This podcast will deeply explore the book and principles. The podcast is hosted by Micah Bays and John Sextro. Micah has a PhD in philosophy and has taught numerous college philosophy courses, including The Meaning of Life, Ethics, and Reason and Argument. John shares his perspective from years of experience trying to live out Ray's principles in his life and work. And you can follow us on Twitter. Micah is at Micah Bays, all one word. And I am at John Sextro, all one word. And now, this week's episode. I'm Micah Bays. I'm John Sextro. And we're back again with Dalio's Principles of Philosophical Examination. This episode, we're going to be going deep into Principle 1.6, which says, Micah, understand nature's practical lessons. And there are three sub-principles that go along with that. The first one is maximize your evolution, and then no pain, no gain. And finally, uh, to gain strength, you must push your limits, which is painful. So we'll start at the beginning on this one with maximizing your evolution. One, I'll, I'll get started, Micah, and then you, you jump in when you've got something to say. Um, I, I've sort of hypothesized that with this maximizing your evolution concept or with evolution in terms of how Dalio talks about it, that it's not evolution like we, we see scientifically in, in the evolution of a species. And I, I thought more about this recently in rereading these chapters and these principles in that I'm, I'm seeing that I think what Dalio is t- really talking about with this evolution and in this case, maximizing your evolution, is that he's telling people, recommending to people, that they spend time on themselves just for self-improvement in in different areas and evolving their skills and their abilities. So that's obvious. And then that Ray, when he's considering how he contributes to evolution, he's looking at it from the perspective of uh, contributing to the the body of knowledge that we have as as human beings so that that's a way that he can contribute to our evolution it's i've mentioned before i think it's impossible to contribute to our our like genetic evolution but he's contributing into our into our body of knowledge as a species so that other people can learn from that and that's how he's considering this um the evolution aspect of of what he's trying to do i think that's a good point that you know, he's using evolution, that term, you know, maybe in a non-scientific way. Now, at some points he probably is, but you know, he even seems to acknowledge that he's kind of going beyond what science says about evolution, about, you know, he'll say, oh, and then I saw that evolution also occurs in societies and evolution, you know, and so he knows that he's, you know, stepping away from that more scientific use of the term. Um, so if you have any hangups about, well, he's not using evolution correctly. Uh, just keep in mind or ask yourself, is Ray trying to use it in the scientific way or is he using it in a, you might say, analogous sense? So maybe don't get hung up too much on that part of it. Right. Well, what were your thoughts around how we should maximize evolution? You know, we had talked before, Micah, in, in, in when you're, when you're, 
trying to accomplish goals, how once you, once you have an accomplishment, especially if you attain, he talks about, you know, attaining riches or, um, status or money, uh, property, et cetera, that, you know, you run this risk of sort of, uh, sort, sort of hitting the gl- a glass ceiling, so to speak, where you're like, Oh, well I accomplished that. And then I'm done. But this sort of goes into looking at it from a different perspective where it really becomes about expanding yourself, um, evolving your knowledge of topics or your, your skill or your ability in certain areas. From your perspective, Micah, how do you read into this idea of maximize evolution? What does that really mean to Micah? Well, you know, for me, I think this is a tough one you know, to come down on some good answer. Um, but you know, I think the idea of evolution in the sense of, I think there's very much to be said for the development of one's capabilities. And um, I'm going to include in here, you know, not only your intellectual capacities, but, you know, your physical capacities to some degree. Um, and you know, I'm also going to say like your moral development. Um, and I see all of those things as important. And I think one of the difficulties can be how do we balance out all of those various things that we want to improve upon? And um, so, you know, also taking into account, right? I think improvement in those areas is a good, but there are also other goods like pleasure is a good, avoiding pain's a good. Um, Maybe we'll talk more yeah, about pain. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, but I also think there are other goods, right? I think relationships are a good, which, I see the development of your intellectual capacities and your moral capacities. I see those as things which when you improve them are at least instrumental in improving your relationships, or at least they can be. Um, So there's certainly a lot of interconnectedness between these various things which you can improve. Um, And so, you know, there's a question about how much emphasis do you put on the various capacities which you can improve. And there's an, an interesting aspect to this and in, in the use of the word maximize. Um it's it's I think to me the when you say maximize, that doesn't always mean like turn it up to level ten if it's on a scale of, of one to ten. It doesn't always mean turn it up to level ten. It might mean find find the the a higher level that's meaningful for you or is helpful to you and not, not in, in a way that then causes you to uh, damage other parts of what are important to you, your life, your relationships, your family, your pursuit of pleasure. It's, it's maximizing it. So it's like tweaking it to a higher level, but within reason, not, and not necessarily at the expense of other things. Did you take, did you take maximize to mean that sort of reasonable approach of, yeah, do better in it in in the way that you really want to do better in it, but also be mindful that you, if you go overboard with something, you could damage other parts, uh, in, other important parts of your, uh, of your life and your happiness, sort of like as you were, you were calling out with relationships and et cetera. Yeah. Now, interestingly, I, w- I wasn't thinking about that concern of, oh, if I maximize evolution, then my evolution, then I might harm some other things. Though I do think that's a consideration. But, you know, what I mentioned before about weighing out these things, I wasn't 
intending that to be a kind of objection, perhaps, to this idea of maximizing your evolution. But I do think that's a legitimate concern. And at the same time, I also think Ray here probably doesn't actually mean maximize, kind of like what you're saying. Um, it is more this idea of increase, or maybe he'd want to say like significantly increase your evolution. Uh, because, you know, he talks about how, you know, there's this dilemma, you might say, of, well, do I try and strive to make a difference in the world or do I just try to enjoy life? And to the extent that you're just focusing on enjoying life, I think he's going to say you're not focusing on maximizing your evolution. Um, and, you know, he talks about you're right in the third stage of life. I think it's the third stage where, you know, you are no longer dependent on others and you are no longer, you no longer have others dependent on you. You can just kind of save her life. Right. Exactly. That would not be maximizing evolution either. Um, so it seems like he's recognizing there are other considerations just beyond just the improvement of yourself. And he's saying those are legitimate things that, you know, you might pursue as opposed to maximizing your evolution. I, I also think that it's they're not mutually exclusive of each other. Phase three of life where you're savoring and, and, and evolving, continuing to evolve. Because I've thought since I've started to talk to you about philosophy that, that maybe when I have more downtime in my life, meaning when I'm more into phase three, because I'm really in phase two where lots of people, my family are dependent upon me, that maybe I'll spend time evolving my understanding of things like philosophy more. Uh, where I would, uh, but but it it would be in a way where I would be savoring sort of because I wouldn't have any intention necessarily to go on the philosophy speaking circuit or to become a professor of philosophy, which would link it back to uh, doing it for some some purpose such as uh, continuing to feed my family and and providing for those that are dependent on me. So I could continue to evolve that way while still savoring. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doing that philosophy, reading philosophy, I would argue would, yeah, be contributing to your own personal intellectual, possibly moral development. Um, and right. There's a question about whether you're better morally, uh, to the extent that you do philosophy. Uh, there's actually a study done about professors in institutions who study morality are they actually better morally than other people? I think the conclusion of the episode or of the uh, research that I read was no. Um, They're not more moral. Correct. Um, Is there? Are they less moral? That I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. They just fit into the 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 average, right? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's questions about well, are they going in it? for the purpose of becoming better morally, or are they just interested in the topic from an intellectual perspective? If you wanted to study philosophy later in life when you could savor it, um, I could still see that as, you know, evolving, right. Improving yourself. Um, actually this last week or two. You know, so you talked about when you have more time, you know, earlier this week, my, my wife and I were talking about how, how little time there is now for us to do that kind of reading. You know, we both have you know full-time jobs and we've got three kids. And, you know, I was thinking back to when I was in grad school, 
you know, I would stay up to like two or three o'clock in the morning just reading. Um, now, typically that'd be when I was on breaks, but you know, I'd read some philosophy. You know, it wasn't even for work, but just because it was some philosophy stuff that I wanted to read, and all of that enrichment that you got to do becomes very difficult once you have a life, you know, a real job and kids and all of that. Absolutely. Let's spend some time talking about no pain, no gain. Uh, so this one is interesting because I think people immediately when they when they hear this phrase, and this is a this is sort of a common phrase in in society. But when they hear that the phrase "no pain, no gain," it's often tied to things like athletics and the pursuit of um, improving your your conditioning or your strength uh, or your endurance and things like that. And but we also use it when we talk about improving our knowledge, improving our our skill and ability, and other things as well. Uh, and well, people focus on the pain aspect of this. And they say, well, pain, I mean, pain is bad. We've talked about it from from a philosophical perspective, pain, bad, right? Uh, Equals bad. So this is really, I think, less about like physical pain. And it's, and it's more about a statement of that it's difficult. And you can say that anything that is difficult is painful, but just because it's, just because uh, it hurts doesn't always mean that it's a, that it's a good thing or that it's difficult. I mean, you can get hurt from things that aren't difficult at all, like falling off of a chair or a step or, or some, something of, of that nature. So anyway, where do you stand on this? No pain, no gain, Micah. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> um, I mean, on the one hand, right. Right. As always. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we could, so philosophers love imagining possible worlds. You might say, right. Imagine a world that's not like our current one, but imagine a different world. Um, imagine a world in which we were able to do everything that we do now, make all of the improvements that we want to make, right? All the evolution and so on, but without any pain. I, wasn't it, it seems to be a better world, right? Well, wasn't it John Lennon that, that said that in a song at some point? I don't know. I don't know either. That right. was before my time, John. Well, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Um, so, you know, on the one hand, you know, it might be nice if, oh, you could and by the way, John Lennon also before my time, just <laughs> oh. to be clear. Oh, okay. I'm just, you know, I kind of figured, but you know, just saying it's hard for other podcast listeners to know. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. So, you know, I, I do want to say that I think pain is always intrinsically bad, right? In and of itself, pain is always a bad thing, but there are definitely times where pain can be instrumentally good. So when you scratch your knee, right? If you fall on the ground, you scratch your knee, right? That cuts up your skin a little bit. And because you have that pain, that makes you not want to do that again, right? It alerts you that your body is being damaged in some way. And so that's instrumentally good because then you learn to not do that. Or, um, you know, if you touch the burner on a stove, that tells you, hey, pull your finger back. Um, So the pain you feel is intrinsically bad, but the response that it enables you to have of pulling your finger away is instrumentally good because, you know, it prevents you from having even more damage to your finger. Um, I think that's a, that's sort of the, the typical case of classic conditioning, right? Where you, you have an experience like that. It's painful. 
and you learn from that experience that hey that's that's intrinsic it's that's uh instrumentally bad but the learning you get is like you said intrinsically good case mm-hmm. of classic conditioning right some people say though that they want to I, i've heard people say to me or someone said to me one time that well i want to i, I really would like to to do this in a way where it's no pain no pain both no pain that's like how can you do that how can you have no pain but still get still get gain i i i don't think it's possible do you um i mean i think so uh, you know i talked about possible worlds before yeah we'll, we'll restrict ourselves now to the actual world okay good we're um, back and so on the one i mean one i don't think you can really avoid all pain in life right that's not really possible um you can certainly seek to minimize it and seek to decrease pain as much as possible. But the reality is I think you very well will most likely be preventing yourself from achieving what's your overall best life that you could lead. Um, it may be that the, to get, you know, the best life you can, you may have to intentionally put yourself in situations where you are more prone to experience pain. Um, yeah. And I, and I think this person's point that said, said to me, no pain, no pain was that they wanted to do this in a way that wasn't going to be hard. And that was, that was the, that, that's essentially what they were driving at is it shouldn't have to be hard. And okay. Well, I mean, maybe if you peel that back a little bit, we can figure out a way for people to, um, grow, gain skill, knowledge, experience, et cetera where it's not hard, but I mean, wow, you, you, you really sort of are, are putting yourself at risk of becoming, you know, a bump on a log. You're like, I avoid all pain. I'm not going to put myself out in any way, shape or form. And I just sort of exist. I mean, without any uh, increase in skill, knowledge, ability. Meh. I mean, that sounds awful. Yeah. So interesting. There's you know, a couple ways we can kind of evaluate this person's you know goal in life, right? Of no pain, no pain. So one is from a purely um, self-interested sense of, well, is this really in that person's best interest? Um, now, one, I think interestingly, you know, Dalio says we each have our own deep-seated needs or deep-seated desires, and so if that's our basis for what the good life is for someone or a successful life is, then this person who says, Hey, I don't want to experience pain at all. According to Dalio's position or claim, it sounds like he might have to be committed to, Oh, well that for that person who's really committed to no pain, that really might be the way they should pursue life. Um, I'm inclined to reject that kind of view of things. Um, And I think we could say, you know, by not pursuing, by by trying to minimize pain at all costs, I think overall their life is going to be worse, right? Um, think about people who don't want to study. Given the world that we're in, um, if you don't pursue things which might stretch you and might cause, again, quote unquote pain like disappointment and so on, you're going to probably be worse off, right? Think about kids who don't want to do schoolwork, right? Or college kids who don't want to study those things in the long run typically make your life go better because you put yourself in a better position intellectually. Um, you mean 
actually studying, not the kids that don't want to study. You have to study to put yourself in a better position. Right. Putting yourself in the things that they're not wanting to do, right? Yeah. yeah the actual studying, doing those things puts you in a better position where in the long run, you're probably better off. Yeah. Um, so one, I think this person who says no pain, no pain from even a self-interested evaluation, I think they're probably wrong. I think they're probably worse off for pursuing life that way. Um, there's also there's, there's a question about more uh, morality, the moral evaluation of this person. So, do they have a moral obligation to develop their skills? Um, I don't think I actually go along with this uh, in this way, but there, there's a uh, famous philosopher, Immanuel Kant. I think we've probably touched touched on him before. Oh yeah, we've talked about him. Okay, um, so he says we actually have a moral obligation to develop our talents or develop our skills. And uh, there's various ways he tries to defend this, but maybe the kind of easiest way to think about it is he says, we have to think about ourselves as rational beings, as ends and not as means. So, right. You see yourself as having importance of having value. And so his claim is if you really see yourself as valuable, then you will also want to develop the skills or capacities that you have insofar as you're valuable. Um, and he's going to say, so if you don't develop your talents or skills, you are treating yourself as a mere means. You're not really respecting yourself as an end. And therefore what you're doing is itself wrong. Um, anyways, I just thought I'd throw that in there that, right. This question of how we should pursue life. Should we take this no pain, no pain, you know, strategy of life? Just pointing out, we can evaluate it from a just pure self-interest perspective, but we can also evaluate it from a moral perspective. Is there any kind of, you might say, moral obligation or moral responsibility to develop ourselves? We operate the podcast on the value for value model. We are entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the podcast and find value in the information and entertainment you receive, you can donate to the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Dalio's Principles and click support this podcast. There are even more ways to support the show. You can dazzle all of your friends with information learned on the show and share the show with them on social media. Also, you can review us on iTunes. It'd be awesome if you blog about it or even talked about our podcast on your very own podcast. And you can always direct your friends to our subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Dalio's principles. And now back to the show. Yeah, I, I, I have some more to say on this, Micah. And I think this, the no pain, no gain statement also crosses into and fits very closely, obviously with to gain strength, you must push your limits, which is painful, which is the third sub principle uh, in under 1.6, the principle we're talking about now. And, and I worry that um, there's a lot of people in our society currently that sort of are, they may not know it, but they're in this no pain, no pain uh, genre of thinking. And we have all of these, I, I think, I fear that there are these things that we're doing to try and protect ourselves, protect other people, protect our children from experiencing pain. We, you, we, we do things where we say, you know, there's no winner. Uh, in a when you run a race, 
well, if there's no winner when you run a race, what's the point of running the race? And then what is my incentive to try to get better in order to run the race? And that's sort of a meta, small metaphor for all of life. If there are no winners, there are no losers. Why not? No pain, no pain. Cause I can just, so what? I just coast along. And uh, so I worry that there's too much focus on protecting ourselves from pain. Yeah. So that, this reminds me of a, a thought I had in high school. Remind me if I uh, already told this story. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I played football in high school and in the off season I would train, you know, I'd go and lift weights and I'd, you know, do sprints and you know, I would even do this on my own. I'd run like forties, you know, and, um, anyways, at one, and the reason you're doing that, of course, is because you want to get better. And the part is, you know, we wanted the team to be better. Our team was terrible when I was in high school <laughs> until our senior year. Um, so my senior, the senior team, the varsity team, when I joined them the junior year, the varsity team, which I hadn't been on the previous three years, but they had lost the last 26 games. Wow. Um, that was almost three seasons worth of games, nine games a season, right? <laughs> but uh, anyways, we were terrible. And so I was doing this training to get better, right? Because I wanted to beat the other teams in our conference. And I had this thought, right? The reason I'm out here working out experiencing all of this pain is because I'm thinking there's someone else out there who's working out in the off season, trying to get better. And I thought, well, why don't we just all like come together and agree, Hey, no one will work out in the off season. And then we can just play the games and see how they play out at the end. Right. Think about how much time we would save ourselves. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you went at it from a really novel perspective there. Uh huh. So you a, a treatise, a truce on on self improvement. Yes. During the off season. That's an interesting way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Well, partly I was thinking you think about the cost benefit analysis. How much pain do you go through in training for especially in sports like football where you only have nine games, right? I love playing football, right? But that's nine games, that's twenty seven hours. I put a whole lot more pain hours in, right? Training for that. That really makes sense from a cost benefit analysis. Good approach. It didn't work out for you, I would imagine. And did the, did the team, are you, so you kept training. Oh, I kept, I still kept training. I just had the thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we all did this? And, and did you win any games that season? Actually, uh, so our senior year, we started out five and oh, we beat the, I think number one team in the state at the time. That was our fifth game. And then after that, it was kind of a downward spiral. I think we only won one more game and we lost three. So oh, that's pretty good, though. Went from no wins in three seasons almost to six. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty good turnaround. Sounds it like was. the pain uh, resulted in some gain. We actually also had a really good coach uh, that he went on to take other teams from my hometown to several state championships. Yeah, good. Not a, a good coach, a good mentor, a, an instructor, a teacher is always helpful in your evolution. Yeah. So, I mean, you had, but you had to, you, you had a thing out there that was the winning, the losing, the, the pride that you might have from accomplishing a win from, or the, or the shame that you might feel, um, the sadness that you might feel from losing. Those things 
are motivating, those things are also instrumentally bad, right? Because they, we don't like those things. Well, so those will be intrinsically bad, right? Ah, thank you. Yeah, intrinsically bad, but instrumentally good. I guess because they they you, they motivate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you think that we do? Do you believe maybe that we have too much of a focus on trying to avoid pain as a society, or or maybe just even for our young people? I mean, you have young children. Do you worry about th- their education being too soft in terms of discipline and and the attainment of goals and and such? Uh, perhaps. Um of some of that concern. I also have a concern about maybe the overemphasis on sports. You know, I think it's good to develop yourself and develop your capacities. Um, but I think maybe the amount of time that kids develop or devote to, especially like, um, traveling teams and club sports. Um, I have a concern that there's too much of an emphasis on that. Again, this is back to that whole, all right, there's lots of goods that are worth pursuing. And, um, you know, I think we can get those out of balance. And I think in our society, sports is one area in which we have gotten out of balance. I think you're right that we can also be too concerned with not pushing ourselves, not having kids, you know, feel bad. Again, the point isn't that they feel bad, but it's that if they don't feel the disappointment that comes with some failures, they won't learn how to respond, you know, effectively. two failures in other areas of life or how to bounce back. I mean, that's a, that's a really, it feels to me like that's a really crucial life lesson is how to do poorly fail. Um, you know, just like how Dalio sort of describes in the book of going through the five step process, which we'll get into really soon, actually in the principles is to have a failure and then go, Oh man, that sucked. Mm -hmm. I failed. What can I do differently? How can I, how can I train, spend time physically training, spend time mentally training, spend time improving my, my tactics or my approach, uh, and then improve and, and get better, right? I mean, that bouncing back that happens, if you don't experience that in, in some reasonable ways and have some, uh, some good role models out there that can help you, help you see how that works, can help coach you through it like a, a good football coach would do in your example, you know, what, what are we going to be left with people that they just fail and then they stop, they hit a wall and they're like, Oh, I'm stuck behind this wall. Nobody has, has ever bothered to help them realize that hey, back up a few paces survey around. Oh, look, if you go this way, you can get around the wall, you know, so that we just have people that sort of fit. Fa- try something once, fail, and, and stop. Or what's maybe even worse than this is never trying because you don't want the, the chance of failure. Right. I think, you know, I know I've thought about it at times, you know, school came pretty easily to me and um, we've talked about other previous podcasts. So I'm fairly risk averse. You know, I don't like making a lot of, uh, I don't like going out on a limb kind of thing. And I, I've sometimes wondered, well, was it because school came to came so easily to me? You know, I wasn't used to failure. Um, now, granted, obviously, I've played sports and I lost, and you know, I tried various things. But um, I just wondered, did the ease with which school came to me did that make me more risk averse? Because I didn't want 
I wasn't used to failure. And so then I think it is easy to see one instance of failure almost as like a defining moment of you, right? Oh, I failed at this. I'm a failure. But I think, you know, one of the things kids and humans, you know, people in general can learn is just because you fail once, that doesn't mean you're a failure. Um, reality is you're, everyone's going to fail multiple times. And so you just learn, okay, once I fail at this thing, how do I respond, right? As you mentioned, what, what changes can I make to improve my chances? Okay, Micah, I know that there's some, uh, well, I don't know the details of it, but I, I know from our notes here that there's some theory um, in philosophy around, you know, is, do we have good reason to think that our brains are evolving? And I think that goes back to this question of, can we trust nature's lessons? Yeah. So, um, so one of the, so the question isn't, um, are our brains evolving, but can we trust the beliefs that our brains develop given that they are the result, right? Our brains are the result of evolution. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is, you know, not exactly on point with, uh, values, um, talk about pain and all that here. But just in that he talks about learning nature's lessons, and let me kind of set the framework too, that this is a question about how can we trust what we learn from nature about what is worth pursuing or worth desiring? So I'm going to start off with something from theory of knowledge and philosophy. Uh, There's a question about, so theory of knowledge, again, is a question about what is it to have a good belief, a justified belief, something that you have good reasons for believing. So the question is, we find ourselves with all sorts of beliefs, right? You have a belief that, John, you probably have a belief that I'm sitting in front of you, right? While we're doing this podcast. I do believe that. We have a belief that I'm sitting in this room. We have a belief, you know, if I touch a burner, it's going to be hot, those sorts of things. Um, All sorts of beliefs. Uh, But there's a question about our brain, right, which is largely responsible for the beliefs that we have, is it, how trustworthy is it in producing true beliefs? Um, and the question is, in particular, given our beliefs about evolution, that the brain is developed as a result of the process of evolution, do we have good reason to think that our beliefs are true, that our brain is typically going to produce true beliefs? So the skeptic about this, the skeptic is the one who says, well, we don't actually have good reason to think our beliefs are reliable. They're going to say, well, evolution, what it tends to produce are beings which have um, a good chance of survival. And so then the idea is, well, our brains aren't likely to produce true beliefs. What they're likely to produce are beliefs which are going to improve your chance of survival. Does that make sense? It, I think you're saying that our, our brains, rather than worrying about true false, it's belie- tricking us maybe or convincing us, creating a truth that is beneficial to us from an, a real evolutionary perspective. Right. And um, so that's the skeptic's position. Um, and now, of course, the response to that that most people will make is, well, yeah, but the degree to which your beliefs are true is going to increase your chance of survival. Right. Um, right. Cause if it's true that, you know, it's dangerous to fall off a waterfall, right. And you have that belief, 
then you're going to avoid the waterfall. So you survive, right? The person who doesn't have that belief, that true belief, they might go over the waterfall and die, you know? So truth helps you navigate the world. The better you can navigate the world, the more likely you are, more likely you are to survive. All right. So that's the issue with belief. But now there's also this question um, about our desires um, and what's worth pursuing. And so I'm getting back to Ray's claim about how we have this desire for things and then, right, houses, nice houses, cars, fame, money, all of that. And he says, well, what we find out is once we get them, we end up kind of dissatisfied, right? Or the satisfaction lasts only for a moment. And then we're off to wanting other things. And so then he goes on to say is, well, those quote unquote rewards really aren't the real rewards. The real rewards, as we find out, are is evolving, right? Evolving is what's really worth pursuing. That's what's the really good thing. And so, you know, my question is, well, given evolution, right, perhaps our beliefs about what's worth pursuing or our desires, you know, of what we want to pursue, maybe that's just the result of evolution itself, right? That, well, if you believe that evolving is the best thing, then you're more likely to pursue evolving. You're more likely to evolve. You're more likely to be, um, you're more likely to survive. So then, right, humans and beings which have this desire to evolve are more likely to survive. And those beings are more likely to be replicated and, you know, continue on in existence. Um, And so maybe it's not actually the case that evolving is really a good evolution has just resulted in that belief of, uh, you know, has resulted in us having that belief because it's conducive to survival. Yeah. I can, I see that entire, I totally now you sort of take, taking the curtains away from my eyes, so to speak about that. This could be entirely a trick that our brains have, have, uh, have produced that is just like, well, evolutionarily we want this species to keep going. So I'm going to keep guiding it in this way. Right. I don't know what people are going to do with this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it, at the least, you know, maybe it just causes some more self-reflection, some, you know, questioning of your own kind of paradigm of the way you see the world and may, may make you step back a, a bit and say, and just reevaluate things and go, ah, well, is that right? Um, so maybe the best thing really just is pleasure. And, you know, we've just been tricked into desiring evolution um, of ourselves. Um, and to go along with this, you know, one of the things that Ray points out is when dissatisfaction comes is when we pursue something and we get it. And then at that moment, you know, we're dissatisfied. So you might say, so again, I'm just trying to express some kind of skepticism about evolving as being a good, not that I necessarily disagree, but again, just helping us all think more critically about these things. Um, in the case of things, we have the experience of attaining them and then experiencing dissatisfaction, right? You get the car, it's great for a month, a week, a year, and then you're dissatisfied and you want the newer one. Same thing for a house or a job, right? Well, what about evolving? You know, one of Ray's claims is that, you know, evolution is never done, right? We've never reached perfection. And so maybe our thought that, oh, if we evolve, that's the good thing, and that's the ultimate reward, 
is there a chance that we're being tricked into that by our own minds because, well, we never actually get there. So we don't know what it's like once we get there to then feel that dissatisfaction. Like, oh, I evolved, right? I perfected myself. Now I'm dissatisfied. Yeah, it's the, it's the flywheel that drives our, drives our existence because, because it can never be done. You can never be done evolving. There's always more. There's always more ways that you can evolve. So it maybe is the thing that keeps us alive is that, is that desire to turn the next corner in life. Right. So is, is it really just being alive that's the good, right? And evolving is just a trick to keep us alive, the species alive, and so on. It occurs to me now why so much time in philosophy is spent on this concept of what is good, when, especially when you talked about this, you know, is, is it that our brains have evolved in a way to continue to, to convince us that these things that are good, they're just really for the sake of the propagation of, of the species. So now, uh, you know, we're, we're from, a, from a meta level backing things up from a philosophical perspective and saying, well, are those things really good or are they just our brains figuring out that this is the way to keep us alive? And is that really the good thing? Evolutionarily, that we want to stay, we need to stay alive at least until we, we pass the, the age of procreation or whatever that, you know, whatever that age is. Obviously more for women, I'm sorry, longer for men when they can. But anyway, back to that. Is it good? Is it the right thing? And, and so I wanted to mention something else in that there's a lot of evidence towards this pursuit of the material things being totally an empty pursuit because you see people who, when they win the lottery, you know, they just completely, their life completely falls apart. And there's some incredible percentage of people that after they win the lottery, they just are constantly chasing the the tail of the dragon in terms of oh buy the house buy the car you know I, i'm i'm unhappy get some drugs to make me feel happy and then you know just constantly spiraling sort of down their money down to nothing and then they're like destroyed and it's be, and it, maybe the people that are happier are the ones that say hey this is a chance for me to savor the way for me to savor is to focus on new pursuits Art, artistic pursuits, um, educational pursuits, etc. Yeah. Okay, so that's the end of principle 1.6. And in our next episode, we're going to cover 1.7, which is pain plus reflection equals progress. We'll see you back here next time on Dalio's Principles. Thanks, Micah. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going on our subreddit, Dalio's Principles at reddit.com. The subreddit is Dalio's Principles, all one word. Join us to interact with a community of like-minded individuals.